0: All right, folks. So let's close this whole series out. I was going to do like one long family as an open circle to end this with, and then it just kept morphing and morphing. And this this whole this whole series for me has been. It's been like one of those drawings that you go to draw, you know, it's like you get your pencil and paper and you start to draw something and it should be really easy because you have it in your head like, oh, I know what I want to draw. And it's like not coming out on paper the way that you think it's supposed to. This has been this podcast series for me. So this was going to be one long episode and then it turned into too long for an episode and then I split it and now I have like a whole another episode. I don't know how I ended up this way, but this is it. So uh, let's go ahead and do this. I want to close out this series and Thank you if uh, you've been listening and love to hear your feedback. And here we go. We're all part of a giant system of systems. We all know this. We have federal governments that are made up of state governments that are made up of county governments. That have municipal governments, and in them they have departments and the workers, and the workers have assets, right? And it's all working together. It's this hierarchy. It's basically every system that we have in our society, governmental systems, education systems, corporate systems, financial systems. They're all based on similar models. And what I'm finding out is that most inorganic systems are structured like pyramids, but most organic systems are not. They're less of a hierarchy and they're more like a fractal. You know what a fractal is? Uh, Repeating patterns that split off into smaller or larger repeating patterns that mimic the original, and each level mimics the system that it's built on. So you might see it and say like how a tree has a main trunk that splits into branches that split into leaves, and like the branches are their own trees and then the leaves look like their own little trees and the stem inside of them splits off into the branches and into the veins that feed the leaves. Or maybe how rivers split into tributaries that split off into streams that split off into valley beds, uh, or even how a singularity split off into galaxies that split off into stars that split off into solar systems with their own planets. It's just like I said about the language families and the cultures all around the earth in the last episode. This is sort of like this big bang of culture exploded across the planet earth, and now this human family. With all of its cultures is coming back together. We're at a crux. We're, we're at a crossroads where we're going to have to do life a different way. We're moving from rural to urban. And yes, I can't say rural because I'm from East Texas. From tribal self-sufficiency to global self-sufficiency, from many languages and cultures towards one global culture. We are now about this business of uniting, and this is like swimming upstream. It's weird, and it's hard, and it doesn't feel right quite, and you're not sure what to do with it. Uniting in the midst of all of that lingering tribal momentum that was driving us outwards and turning this entire global culture and global system of humans inside out, it's quite a task, isn't it? it it often doesn't feel natural and it can be really hard and that's why we've seen it create wars and injustice and genocide right and in the antidote for this the way forward is to stay human while swimming upstream it's connection it's family Not the tribal families that we were handed, a different kind of family. Not blood families or skin color families or language families. Those are all disintegrating, aren't they? But we need families that are tied together by love, by a common humanity, who see the humanity in the other and who aren't afraid to embrace the diversity between us. And the one who doesn't look like us, who doesn't talk like us, vote like us, the one who is so different that it makes us nervous, we need to love that one so much that it connects us. And that connection is stronger than the fear that drives us apart. To see the humanity in every human and love them despite it all. This is what it's all about. Connection to bring us back together in love and grace for the other. Now, this human community that we have, The people on planet Earth, as we spread throughout history with all of our language and culture, it leaves one giant fractal footprint all over the Earth that we've talked about. But it works the other way as well. We we have fractals all through us running the other way, and they are creating something together. So go with me here. Fractals make up, say, the veins and arteries in our bodies and lungs. And then it happens in our cells, you know? Cells are like these little living bodies. You're made of seventy-five trillion cells, and in every one of those, did you know your cells themselves are so complex? They have skin and digestive systems, they have organs that we call organelles for waste and energy. And here's the cool thing, there are more organelles in each cell than your body has organs. So cells are like their own little bitty bodies. They're so complex. And then they work together with other cells like themselves, their own tribe of cells to make up a tissue. And then the tissue arranges itself in a certain way, like a structure to make a functioning organ. And then that organ works together with all the other organs to keep the whole thing in balance and alive. And you start the whole process over. Your body that works together with other bodies, other humans like yourself, and together we make up groups that specialize in roles, and those groups come together to form larger groups of people, and then systems of groups of people, and whether we connect ourselves organically or inorganically really matters. I would argue that the more powerful narrative that we must ground ourselves in isn't The inorganic corporate hierarchy pyramid of money and sex and greed-driven, that narrative that separates the wealthy and the poor and polarizes politics and starves connection and creates injustice. But the narrative that we have grounded ourselves in or should ground ourselves in should be an organic one of family, of tribe, but a different kind of tribe. Because this is how we're wired, like trees. You go all the way back down to our tiny little nerve fibers in your hand. You see this this, uh, fractal system in your nervous system, right? It's like these little tributaries of nerves that flow into bigger nerves that eventually flow into bigger nerves and then eventually into the ocean of neurons in your head. But it doesn't stop there. Your brain arranges itself. Into two hemispheres which have a relationship. And in our organic structure, every relationship between two living things gives birth to a third thing. So your hemispheres are really social constructs. We now know from attachment studies and biology that virtually every part of our higher brain function has something, has, has somehow been wired by and for social interaction. So to have a relationship between two connected parts that are complementary, really similar in their basic structure and makeup, and yet have specialized roles, this is what organic relationship looks like. Two live in balance with one another where each of them is equal and complementary and connected to the other. And it's that connection that's so important. This is what marriage and friendship look like. You have two halves, which are basically similar humans who have these specialized social roles that should be complementary, and they they need to stay connected and communicate well to keep stability and homeostasis in the house. And this is true of any friendship. It's not true that opposites attract, but it is true that people often look for people who are complementary to themselves. And when you have that strong relationship, you can build a strong family. It may not look like a nuclear family, but every family needs that one relationship, right, that can't be broken no matter what life throws at it. And If you have that relationship, you have the the foundation where family can grow and become a place where we can lose ourselves. See, this is what we're made for, it's to lose ourselves in connection. When everything is clicking and you're in the moment and you're doing the thing that you love, your left and right brains, you form this complementary relationship with each other, and, and you get lost in the moment with each other. You know what we call it? creativity doing it's where you want to be right you're swimming you're playing football you're reading a book you're watching a game you're working on that project that you're really excited about you're on that date you're leaning in for your first kiss this is what it means to be fully alive to be fully connected to do something bigger together you've got a bigger mission than just the two of you in your head you're lost in a bigger cause you lose track of time you're synced up and connected and you're working together with your strengths when they're clicking and you're doing something, you just get lost in the moment, right? Yeah, you have almost no idea how much time has gone by or that there is such a thing. You know, they say one of the major differences between humans and every other species is that we have the ability to tell time. But in physics, we're now finding out that uh, it isn't obvious that time is necessary. Some physicists now theorize that time is essentially just a human construct. It's just a way that our brains interpret a direction In a dimension. It's the fact that in our best moments, we lose track of it. That kind of makes me wonder. I wonder if time is just a thing that we start to think about when we forget where we are and what we're doing. If you're aware of the clock, you are essentially being aware of some place where you are not or the impending doom of not being at that different location at at a certain time. This is a Western phenomenon, by the way. Connected cultures around the world, like in developing nations, they just don't seem to care that much about time. You see tribal village people in sub-Saharan Africa getting stressed out because they're late? No. Which brings me to the question, if you're spending energy focusing on a physical place where you are not, what are you not aware of in the place that is right there where you are? And what if you could bring all of that awareness and power to your present moment in place and get lost in it. So you want the two yous to be clicking together and lose track of yourself and then you you want this in your relationships right? To lose yourself in the other that's like the best case scenario for a relationship. Like when you're on your dream date and you're about to propose are you all bored looking at your clock daydreaming about NASCAR? Because if you are go ask somebody else to marry you. No you you want to be lost in the moment with the other And this is so much like our families. We want to be lost in a family, not a cog in a big system of machines, but like a leaf connected to a tree. You ever have that time where there's a storm and the power goes out for like a day and everybody just ditches their plans and school and work are canceled and you're all hanging out like you're out on the streets with your neighbors helping each other out. When it's over, you have to go back to normal life. You, do you ever sense that beneath the surface, there's sort of like this collective, Oh, you know, bummer. A couple of nights ago, my kids were playing hide and seek, and they turned off the lights in the house to mess with each other, and Beth wasn't home, so I took the liberty of doing a completely dad thing. I went outside, and I turned off the main breaker to the house, and at first, it really messed with them me because they thought they were doing it, and then they figured it out, and they were finally like, yes, and they played more hide and seek, and then... We all got together and sat around in a circle around some candles, and we sang and we laughed. And this was not even my plan at all. It just was like, oh, I ruined this moment. And we talked, and they would tell you it was like the best time, because that's what we're made for—to get lost in a family. You know, just like you can split apart a leaf from a tree, you can isolate a person. You you can look at them as a lone individual, as a part of a machine, but they'll die if if you if they're just. A piece of a big system and they're disconnected, then they'll die. If they're just a brick in a building, then they'll die because we're organic. If it, But if the leaf is connected, there's no obvious mandate to draw a line between where the leaf ends and the rest of the tree begins. And so it is with you when you're connected. There's no obvious difference between where you end and your family begins. This connection is the unseen invisible part of the human structures that make up the world that we need to make known. The pursuit of the visible forms of power like money and assets and networks over this invisible form of power has led to all kinds of dysfunction throughout history. This is how the Bible narrative started. That the man and the woman, you know the Adam and Eve story, man and the woman were living in harmony and connection and they traded it for a lesser form of power, knowledge. They wanted to know more, and that led to all sorts of things. Now, here's what happens. When you trade your connection, the unseen for the visible forms of power, the the two hemispheres or the two people or the two couples or the, uh, the family that's connected to each other, they begin to suffer disconnection, which I think should qualify as a disease. They go through a very predictable pattern. They generally polarize as the connection degrades. One example, an obvious example would be like a married couple that you see that start to grow distant and they start to live differently and one day they wake up and they feel like they don't know each other anymore. This happens in an environment of scarcity where all of the connection has begun to be traded away. And you know what it looks like? It's just the opposite of losing yourself in the moment. People are constantly looking at their clocks, Right. Show me a couple whose relationship is suffering major stress and I'll show you a couple who lives and dies by the clock. Connection is dying because it's being traded for visible forms of power and so there they are in scarcity and they start to drift and polarize as the connection between them starts to wither away. Polarization can be healthy if the connection between the two halves of you are stronger. You can have two opposite people. And as long as their connection is strong enough and they spend enough time together and they understand how to communicate, they'll grow towards each other. They'll grow together. But when people break apart, it's because their connection was dysfunctional or weak. It became unable to withstand the forces that were driving them apart. So they may have even talked a lot but they didn't know how to express their emotions maybe deep down or they thought they were, but it just wasn't connecting. It was like they were missing each other. This works in our heads. If you don't make peace with yourself and connect with yourself by speaking your feelings with words, your thoughts become polarized from your logic and words and you can spiral into a mess of a life like mental chaos. And so it happens with married people. If they connect well and often, then they they can be different, but if that bandwidth of communication isn't big enough or open enough, two busy people, they will start to spiral into more and more polarizing dialogue and this creates an effect where the other person begins to seem more and more like the enemy, and the people continue to retreat back to where they came from. And it's like the forces on the poles of the magnet start to get stronger, and they repel each other. And then there's like this point of no return where this thing is not coming back together here. No amount of communication is going to be able to bring them back together any longer because they let fear win out over Connection. They traded away their connection for other forms of power that were less important. So there's a couple of principles here. One, we, we always need our connection to, with the other to be thick enough to provide enough bandwidth, to provide for a connection strong enough to overcome the polarizing forces of fear of our differences amidst scarcity and stress. So We need that corpus callosum between us and our enemies to be thick enough to handle the transfer of differences without melting down, right? We need this fiber optic cable to be able to handle the data transfer without it just all blowing up and melting down. Otherwise, we get too far apart and we lose empathy, and then it all starts to fall apart. See, you can take two very opposite people, as we've proven, and get them to fall in love with each other, You could say, theoretically, take a bachelor, put him on a date with a beautiful, lonely single girl where they fly together in a helicopter over the French Alps and land in Tuscany for a couple's massage on the beach, and shockingly, the two will fall in love, but you pull them out and you put them in a stressful world, and they're going to do what? They're going to fall all out of love because scarcity demanded a narrower bandwidth, and they've always had huge differences, but those differences can't be overcome whenever you're not in the French Alps, right? You can take two political enemies, you can put them together and give them space to communicate without media pressure and threats, and they'll generally learn to love and appreciate one another. But if you put stress on their countries and you start talking about uh, which one has the bigger red button than the other, then all of a sudden they start to polarize. And if the Atlantic Ocean is between you and King George of England with all of your different needs, you are a war waiting to happen. And if you're a busy, busy people and your connection wire is really thin, you don't really have to be that different to outgrow your ability to sustain connection. Because she has her work and you have your Facebook group and she spends time with her Democrat friends and you spend time with sports and she connects to all of these other communities and you connect to different communities. If you don't reconnect at the end of the day, you find yourself a little less like each other and a little more like the inorganic systems that you're a part of or the other families of people that you're loosely connected that you're a part of. The leaf starts to shrivel up. Your connection starts to atrophy. The wire grows thinner, spirals, cycles, and speeds up into a process of separation and relational death. We start to grow apart. we slowly spiral into a place where we have this fantastic meltdown of the wire between us. So somebody should come up with a math equation for this. like how thick how thick should our bandwidth be? some engineer for how different we are, right? some some math nerd out there. Um, do you sense this is not just happening at a family scale right now, but at a global scale? I wonder if we're not in our universe of fractals creating, a polarizing national dialogue at the same time as the implosion of the American family for the same reasons. Hit me back with your thoughts, I'd love to explore that. It's created another polarizing shift. The pursuit of visible forms of power. We we have shifted to where we are highly attached to the global circle. That's sort of like our fantasy world if you're an average everyday human. Still pretty highly attached to our inner circles, but we've lost attachment. To our middle circles. We're more aware than ever of ourselves and what's happening to maybe the people right next to us. Like, seriously, I know my strength finders, five personality traits and the scientific name for that spot on my arm and what my Myers-Briggs letter are. and And, and even my best friend can tell you like the specific medical records of my six-year-old child. And I can tell you what Enneagram number he is. And we can know all that the president tweeted last night, and what the president of Syria's name is, and what kind of tattoos are on Adam Levine's chest. But when's the last time you spent 30 minutes with a distant family member? See, we're pushed towards socializing hyper-globally and hyper-locally, where it feels like it's just us in the world possibly us versus the world in, in our medium circles where are they they've been crowded out how well do you know your distant cousins at the family reunion do you have any clue what's going on with the the people that are in your medium to larger circles or your distant relatives who don't blow up your social media feed how about do you know anything about your state senator or your county or district judge no see I think there, we may be seeing a grand polarization at levels of connectedness that's born out of an unhealth and a polarization at the self level. My kids it's like my kids are either going to play in the NFL or what's the point of even trying to play football, right? It's all or nothing. It's like the best of the best, or it's it's nothing. So what I think I'm seeing is that all of this connection that we're trading in with with family and visible forms of family has left us with divided, unhealthy cells, creating a divided, unhealthy body. There is a way to be healthy again, to be imbalanced rather than polarized, to be united rather than divided, to be integrated rather than separated. But it's going to look like. Well, pretty expensive purchasing back connection. See, there are market forces that are driving this polarization because polarization is really efficient for the business and market world. You notice how a market society typically trends towards two opposite choices and then the others typically die off over time because binary is efficient for the whole system. Binary choices, Google or Apple, Republican or Democrat, black lives, blue lives, Patriots fans, non-Patriots fans. It's the cheapest, least diverse way that you can still find, uh, still have a choice. And the, the competition between the two sides can still f- keep things going and drive change. Binary is Efficient. That's why it's baked into technology itself. It's playing like literally right now. You're, the podcast is playing on uh, billions of on and off switches. And an economy like that is pushing and stretching and forcing our brains to mesh or accept a world of polar binaries in or out. You're in this group or that group. You're either for gay marriage or or against. It's systemic forces that are creating this division and trying to force organic people into an inorganic mold of a system. If you look at the U.S. president, you ever thought, is this really the best we can do? I can answer that. There are 340 million Americans. No, we did not choose the best of the best of the best. The U.S. president is the product of a polarized system, perhaps even the most polarizing agent. It's the least creative, least diverse, but cheapest, most efficient way to live. Excellent for business and industry and technology, but very expensive for our families. See, this is a toxic way of life so often for things that are organic. You get a plant growing... And then starve it and don't give it water, and you notice it'll polarize. It will be ugly and thin, and it'll start to shrivel up, but it will grow really tall, really fast. We call it bolting, and it will rush to reproduce. And so it looks mature in one way, but really unhealthy in another. So it may produce like one healthy flower with one healthy bean pod. Right? It's not going to produce 30 unhealthy ones. It's just going to grow really tall and hurry up to be mature, but it never really grew healthily and became mature. You know what? I'm actually seeing this in our children. Very poor kids that I work with at school were more grown up than ever. They're physically growing up, and girls' puberty onset age, by the way, has fallen from 15 or 16 years old 100 years ago to 10 Like little five-year-olds at school are acting like little grown-up athletes and talking about sex, but they're not growing up because whenever they get to be older, say in their 20s, they're still getting in fights over cell phones and spending all their money on gummy bears and energy drinks, right? If you're going to be organic, you're at your best whenever you're becoming the most connected, most creative, most diverse, most powerful, perhaps least efficient person. So many of us are having to choose whether we're going to be excellent for our business or excellent for our family. Because a family man's not really very efficient, is he? A great mom and sister probably isn't going to be the best entrepreneur or innovator. And sometimes I cringe because, like, we see a lot of these studies highlighting the limits of human producti- productivity. And we know this we know that people don't really work really well over 40 hours or 50 hours a week. And these studies will tell us, like, hey, taking a day off makes you more productive. And then people often analyze that and they run with that, and they'll say their conclusion is like, oh, okay, well, let's let's maximize this by giving you the exact amount of time off, and let's uh, let's do these holidays and these things only because we have to increase productivity, right? Well, if that's the game, then you are still only the sum of what you produce, which I believe is a fundamentally backwards way to view. People. I vote for a world where humans aren't just expendable cogs in a machine to serve in a mirage, but where machines are the expendable ones who only serve us to the point that they empower us to be whole and healthy and connected and integrated with the people who matter the most. It's time to make our families whole again, to bring back together balance and harmony and integration that we're losing in this transition time of the world that so many people have seen to have driven apart by polarizing market forces that have ended in polarized families. Because there's a better way. And the good news is this. The most powerful thing that you have can't be taken from you. It's the very thing that's free to you that Facebook and Instagram and Candy Crush and your job are all desperately wanting. Your attention. You give it to what you want to see grow. Attention is the currency of connection. If your dream for the world is for your IRA to grow, you're going to give it your attention, right? If your life's dream is for Facebook to get bigger, well, if it is, you need to get a new hobby. But listen, if it's not, why do you keep feeding it your attention? If the best that you can do is to dream that PlayStation comes out with Halo 16 and it's the best ever, then keep giving your attention to Halo, I guess. But I don't think you want that. See, the problem... Often is that we vote one way with our ballot and another way with our wallet. What I mean by that is we say one thing and then we actually do or feed another with our attention. We feed the visible and starve about connection. But if your dream for the world is peace and life and adventure and creativity, then give your attention to real actual flood, flesh and blood people, your family, because that's where peace and life and adventure and creativity are born. Your family isn't going to look in the 21st century like what families looked like a 100 years ago but you can still grow a whole family and this one may be even healthier than ever because we can now grow diverse families in ways that we were never able to a whole family a whole person is one who is integrated fully with themselves who is master of their own emotions who recognizes their own limited humanity and the limited capacity that we were handed with these physical bodies and who doesn't let your instincts control you anymore. A whole person is one of us who submits to our biological need to connect with other humans and express our emotion in healthy and safe places and our fears. And in doing so, gives your bigger family the greatest gift you can, your true self. And that's what whole families are made of whole people and when whole people give of our excess we can make whole families and then whole families when we can give of our excess we can make whole tribes and whole tribes can give of their excess and make whole villages and then whole villages can give of their excess they can make whole states and and when those can give of their excess together we can make a whole world if we're going to be fully human in the 21st century with eight billion of us and counting we're going to have to live a fundamentally different way than the tribal narrative That's based in fear that we were handed the narrative that says that we're just machines building someone else's empire because this is the best we can do for life. To be fully human, we're going to have to embrace our organic nature and insist that we can't be treated as limitless robots to serve someone or something else's visible power agenda. To be fully human, we're going to have to respect our deepest need of being fully integrated into family and to grow a family we're going to need to sacrifice some of our less important assets to gain back the power of connection. To grow a family, we're going to need to sacrifice power to find truth and to make peace with our fellow person. To grow a family, we've got to respect other people's own needs for basic power and sustenance and become fully awake to the fact that no one else's appetites or motives are inherently any more or less pure than our own. To grow a whole family, we have to make margin in our lives for the unexpected and respect the margin that the people close to us need. To grow a whole family, we're going to need to solve conflict by identifying emotions and then being at peace with them. To grow a whole family, we're going to have to be students of our pain and use it to grow us instead of to destroy our neighbors. To grow a whole family, we're going to need to let go of the people and the dreams that are way out there over the rainbow and grow together with the people right here in our midst. If we're going to survive the onslaught of busyness and demands and higher expectations and more fierce pressure from a market society, we're going to need a circle whose connections are strong enough to withstand the pressure. And if we're going to be at peace, we're going to need to give our attention to our inner circles and those medium sized circles around us and spend a lot less time trying to control global systems that we were never in charge of. And finally, if we're trying to grow a whole family, we're going to have to destroy that polarizing narrative of us versus them. See, a whole family connects strongly enough that it starves out the fear of the other in our workplaces, in our churches at home, in our businesses, in our governments. And in doing so, we get this rich, diverse, organic garden of people who don't look like us, talk like us, or think like us, but they no longer have to threaten us, but they can instead bless us with the diversity that they bring. See, at some point, we all have to choose which force we want to be our North Star and to guide us and empower us through life. Is our North Star going to be visible forms of power, or is it going to be love? If you're guided by the visible, by money, by things, assets, whatever you want for your own life, your trinkets, you never have to destroy fear And it will remain the necessary reality that accompanies all of your pursuits of visible power. You can go over the oceans and trade with people abroad and never have to let fear be addressed. So choosing a life in pursuit of this power sounds like freedom and a pursuit of happiness in the American dream. But the reality is this paradox that pursuing power for your tribe invites fear to continue to be your controlling master. But choosing love walks through fear of the other, those people that are unlike us and says, no, I still want to be in communion in connection with you, even though you're different. And this is ironically what invites freedom to be your controlling master. Loving the other, the them sounds terrifying, But once you've made the journey, you've destroyed fear. And what's left is freedom. And those people now can bring something that is a blessing to you. Their differences are no longer a threat, but they enrich the place where you're growing. An ancient mystic teacher once said that you have to choose either to serve God or money you're saying you have to choose the visible or the invisible forms of power and you can't choose both and you should choose wisely because in some backwards organic mysterious way it's by letting go of yourself and surrendering to the other to those who are different than us whether that's our spouses or the people in the next country or the people around the globe that we find what we've been looking for the whole time. That's love, and that's how you grow a whole family.